This is Pod of the Rings, a weekly reaction show dedicated to Amazon Prime Video's Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, with your hosts, Simon A. and Jamie Wilson. Visit our website at www.shutup.world to uncover even more great content. And now, Pod of the Rings. Thanks for joining Jamie and me on Pod of the Rings. This is Season 1, Episode 1, Shadow of the Past. If you enjoy our banter near as much as Galadriel enjoys a good scrap, you can go ahead and hit like and subscribe. Plus, you can check out our other cool shows at shutup.world, and if you feel so inclined, shoot us an email at podoftherings at gmail.com. Here we go. All right, welcome to Pod of the Rings. Uh, hi. Hi. I'm Simon. I'm Jamie. All right, and we're your hosts uh, for this show, The Pod of the Rings. Um, the Pod of the Rings. Pod of the Rings, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, let's get straight into episode one. How exciting! Did you enjoy episode one? What did you think? Um, well, my first, um, my first pass. I've done two passes, so my first pass, I wasn't grabbed. Uh, okay. Um, you know. Uh, for reasons which we'll explore um i mean it's it's fun there's there's pleasant elements in it there's a lot of good uh, spectacular yeah. stuff but uh it, it doesn't grab you the way that the first hour of a movie would that has well, to actually that's an interesting way to think about it i hadn't thought about it in that way like mm -hmm. is this yeah okay so rather than this is the intro to a series like yeah, yeah. i kind of get what you mean like it wasn't I, I enjoyed it. Like, I'll be honest. I, I enjoyed it. It okay. was very twee and it was a bit cheesy and <laughs> um, yeah, it had its problems. Like, let's not, <laughs> let's not pretend it didn't have its problems, but yeah, I thought it was all right. It killed an R, you know what I mean? I felt entertained. Yeah. Good. I mean, um, it's got a lot of work to do. It's a, it's a big project and there's a lot of characters and, you know, in a movie they have a very short time frame to, to get you yeah. to buy into the story and everything has to happen fast like in lord of the rings we're very endeared to the characters from the first few the first few scenes in the movie yeah you know? that's right um the, the very it's inescapable to compare the two like the when you first see you know frodo and, and gandalf arrives everything is so endearing and it's also charming yeah and, and the score is very important too the score is just beautiful and it yeah, all yeah that's creates, right the magic and charm of the world very quickly but that's missing from, from uh, yeah it is i think they tried like they tried to do it yeah they tried <laughs> but yeah yeah it um yeah it didn't it definitely didn't grab me in the same way that lord of the rings grabbed me for sure mm. for yeah. sure but in a way they've got a little bit more time i guess they're easing people into it maybe yeah. I don't know, maybe they're conscious that some people might be watching this without any past knowledge of Lord of the Rings or Tolkien or or any of the any of the backstory. That's so right. So for somebody like who's watching this for the very, very first time, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I yeah. thought it was all right. Yeah. Is I mean, that enough? Is it enough that it just entertained me for an hour and it was a good way to kill an hour? Like this is the most expensive TV production of all time. <laughs> is that enough it. that I'm like, eh, it was okay. 
Yeah, they've. I mean, people have very high expectations because of the cost, just the sheer dollar value. People are expecting to be blown away. Yeah, yeah. Um, on my second pass through the first episodes, because I knew the characters better, I was more. Uh, I was more. Um. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Engaged. I was more. Yeah, endeared. Um, you felt that better connection with them, maybe. I was more. Yeah, and I was more invested. So. You know what I mean? I think that's yes. part of it. It's like all this business, like with Gladriel at the start, which we'll get into. Um, it's yeah. impossible to you're not invested yet in the character, so you don't get any sense of drama when she's scaling that freaking ice wall, or you know, it's just <laughs> not, okay. Now she's they're, they're fighting some orcs, they're scaling some wall, they're doing this, yeah. and it's like okay, I see. Uh, but it's not dramatic. I, yeah, I didn't really get the point of that whole opening sequence where she's talking about the past war that they had and and giving us this kind of insight into elven life, like that they don't have a word for death. And and then we meet uh, a bunch of friends who are treating her like shit and they destroy her boot. And then her brother comes along and he's not that nice to her, really. Like, he's just OK. He's like, well, you need to toughen up a wee bit or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. See, I just didn't get the point. Well, this was the thing, right? To me, the point in a lot of these opening scenes was to get to know the elves, and we might as well start yeah. talking about the elves. But let's just that that first the the I would have preferred them to take out the entire um, monologue at the start, the entire backstory. Yeah. Just they should tell the story during the story. I mean, that's a no brainer, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. Or, or if they, you know, because it's too complicated. There's too much to summarize, and and why try to do these little bits and pieces, these little fragments? I know it's here just... and there about how many centuries that, that they were at war, and they were they thought they were entering this time of peace. And I yeah. know, and it was all very, you know, like you're saying, twee. It's like we were we. It was peaceful, and then there was war, and oh, war bad, and, <laughs> and the evil yeah. guy, and and it was like, okay, just tell the story. Just let's tell, yeah. let's have the story, please. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I know. But see, this is the thing. Like part of what they tried to do in these two episodes was they put a it, it, a lot of it was built around certain lines which are supposed to convey the meanings right it's like we yeah. were it's like you know like you're saying uh when we were chatting that a lot of it's like uh what do you call it a meme meme lines yeah that's it a lot of the script is written so that it can be memefied or put into a gif you know or, what i mean like yeah. they're just little sound bites i was thinking of them as like trailer lines like they had to yes yeah they, they wrote it for trailers or something yeah um, yeah maybe they fucking recruited half the staff from hallmark and they're writing it as <laughs> if they're writing a birthday card you know what i mean it's like i just thought it was so a lot of them were just so over the top cheesy they and they were. just didn't need to exist. It's like they've been written specifically so that somebody can stick it on a meme and yeah. get all you on social media. Yeah, for sure. Um, but there was there were there were certain things in some of the lines, and I'll give you an example of the kind of thing they were trying to do here. Um, in that opening scene, um, she asks the other elf there. She says something like, "Why does a stone fall, but a ship floats?" <laughs> and he says that the stone is attracted to down. To, yeah. I forget the exact words he used. It's attracted down um, in into the darkness, whereas a ship um, struggles against the darkness and is striving upwards. Right? Yeah. Now, the interesting thing about the elves is, and I don't want to go into too much detail, it's really difficult to explain, right? But in the metaphysics of Tolkien's world, and this is a pet theory I have based on some stuff here. Yeah. Like whenever, whenever the elf says, you know, his explanation for why the stone falls and the and the and the boat floats, um, the way the way this is all set up, 
if you notice, like there's a lot of um, attention given to the land um, yeah. and uh, the the weather, the seasons and all that sort of thing. And all the races in here, like the elves, humans and Harfoots have a different sort of relationship um, with the, the earth itself. Right. Yeah. With and, Middle Earth and yes, everything and the, else. Exactly. And the reason for that is because in Tolkien's world, you see, this is supposed to be the planet Earth, by the way. This is like almost like yeah. a, uh, a revisionist history that Tolkien does kind of thing, or it's way back in the past sometime. But we are supposed to think about it as, as an older version of the Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't realize that. I thought it was a different place. I didn't know either until I listened to someone else's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the elves as a people, right? They yeah. are very um, measured. They're very unemotive, right? Yeah, very reserved and composed for sure. Yeah, no, this is a this is actually an old trope. Now, because this goes back to Tolkien, precedes like the likes of Star Trek. I'm not sure, but the obvious comparisons are like the Vulcans, for instance. Oh yeah, of course. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, because the Vulcan, and then the purpose of that in Star Trek was that Kirk was very fiery and emotional and passionate. Yeah, and Spock was the sort of the the, the, non, the rational, um, you yeah, know, right. And the Vulcans suppressed their emotions in order to do yeah. that. Um, now, um, but what's happening in Tolkien's world isn't that the elves suppress their emotions, or it's not even that they're unemotional. A good way to think about it is that the earth itself and the elf are actually a whole thing. It's yeah. holistic. You see, the earth is a part of the elves. Yes, and it's okay. a part of the Harfoots, and it's a part okay. of um, Sauron, and it's a part of the orcs, and it's a part of the humans. Yeah. It's actually okay. a part of them. So while we don't see, um, so we see the inner temperament of the characters expressed in the environment. So yeah, the elves um, are, they're otherwise immortal unless somebody kills them. Um they uh they're they're very resistant to change they're very peaceful yeah. right and that's reflected in the in their actual city and the land that they live in if when we're seeing these short shots of valinor and the cities the elven cities everything yeah. is so there's this glow it's, it's pristine like, and beautiful yeah. and yeah well there's no wind hardly there's no rain there's no weather except just sun, yeah, sun, right. sunshine and it's all very warm and golden and uh at one point in episode two, there's a really important quote about that where um, Elrond says something about love. I forget what it is, but we'll get to it. But basically, yeah. it was a strong hint that the elven emotions are expressed in the landscape, right? And oh, this is it, very okay. key in, in Galadriel as well. Now, for us viewers, that's problematic for human viewers, right? Because we're used to endearing to a person by the expressions on their face. Yeah, that's right. Right. And so, you know, in Lord of the Rings, we started off with um, Gandalf and uh, the Hobbits. And so it's easy. It was much easier. Yeah, it's much easier to bond with the characters, right? Yeah, Um, that's true. And here it's like they're a bit emotionless, but it's it's how they approach things like architecture and how they build and create is really where they express their emotion. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it's... uh, and so that's the problem that the writers faced, I think, is in 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 yeah. endearing us to the show was going to be difficult because the el- elves are so stoic. They, well, not stoic's not the right word. Galad- Galadriel, we could view as stoic, but the elves, yeah, you know, they 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 have 
their inner temperament doesn't appear in their face and their visage a lot yeah. of the time. It's very subtle when they express emotions and thoughts uh, or, you know, yeah, it's very subtle. So that's the challenge that the writers face. And right? I did like I did find myself growing um, to like Gladriel in the second Gladriel in the second episode. I thought I, I liked her much more in the second episode than in the first so yeah. it is something that definitely grew over time. So maybe that's just something that we'll find as the as the time goes on. We'll definitely, you know, we'll start to they'll start to grow on us a wee bit more. I'm sure there are people out there that absolutely loved Galadriel from the moment that they set eyes on her. But um, for me, it just felt she just felt a little weak. Like for somebody who's supposed to be commanding the northern armies, it's like make a fucking decision. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, this is the thing about Galadriel. We might as well segue into Galadriel here. <laughs> um, she um she's gonna be the elves are like a strong conservative culture they're deeply yeah. rooted in the past and this is one of the problems for, that the elves have actually um that they're too strongly rooted to the past yeah um you know they 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 were they were created into a world that was sensibly created for them it was all beautiful and light and everything and they're immortal yeah. and and uh but then um they're but they're the thing is though that they're sort of mistaken about the purpose of earth so their religious orthodoxy and their conservatism um is kind of wrong okay and galadriel is going to be a driving force for possibly change, change exactly but because yes, she's in right. a highly conservative um culture um it's she's difficult yeah it's difficult and she's one of them too so she's obedient it's a hierarchical yeah. religious hierarchical society. So where they they're taught that they fall into line, that they don't challenge authority, that yeah, exactly. they they have to obey. That kind of makes sense. Although it seemed like almost any time that Galadriel Galadriel decided that she was going to do something, somebody else like over overpowered her or talked her out of it. Like in whenever she's up in the castle on top of the mountain um she's determined like she is going to head further north and she's she's not going to stop until she finds sorrow um, yep. and then her army is like well fuck you yeah we're not going any further love here's our swords we're away and she's like all right <laughs> then i guess i'll just go home you know what i mean it's like come on i know you're supposed um, to command an army you command an army and you've only got like 10 people there and they're like see you later and you're like fine that's okay <laughs> i yeah, just I don't i don't buy it i don't well, buy no it doubt. The other funny thing about that is that finding Sauron was ostensibly the mission that they all knew that they were on. And whenever they started to get closer, yeah. like, um, maybe we should turn back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, this was the castle they've been trying to find for years. Nobody else has ever been able to find it. And they're like, yeah, we should just go home now. We'll go and tell the king. Oh, yeah, I know. So, yeah, for me, she just felt, for somebody who's supposed to be the commander of armies, uh, she just felt a little weak. But maybe maybe she's just been bribashed for years, you know. I don't know. Yeah, I'm a bit tired. Let's head back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yes, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, this is it. I mean, it's this. Yeah. Uh, she's she's uh, uh, she's an elf at the same time. She's one of them, and so she wants. That's she's it. torn. Yeah, she wants to. Right. She has this other mission, but she also wants to be a good elf, right? And uh, but but I think that the purpose of the weakness, the weakness in Gladriel, is definitely deliberate because she's going to become strong. Yeah. Like 
the other notable thing about that scene was that she just doesn't seem to be able to command loyalty from people. She lacks charm. Yeah. Right. I mean, she completely lacks charm. Sure. All the elves lack a certain charm, but uh, well, some of them though. Not I think that's her brother, isn't Galadriel it? Galadriel definitely seems to be a bit lacking the, in charms, you interpersonal skills. Scene? You know, yeah, in that's the first, her brother. In the very first that's opening scene, she's portrayed as this outsider yeah. figure. Um, the other kids see her as something sort of separate and different, and she definitely seems to feel that way herself as well. Um, the older elf recognizes that she's different, and um, you know. Oh really? Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, he says something else too. He oh, says you lost your I footing again, did you, okay. Gladriel, or something yeah, like that? Yeah. And this is this comes up a few times. It's very subtle, but Galadriel misremembers and yeah. she confabulates about the past. So whenever she attacked that boy, it's yeah, implied yeah. that it happened on a previous occasion, but she made up a story that she lost her footing and fell into him. You see? And now Later, when she's talking to Elrond and they're admiring the beautiful painting of the light in the West, um, and he makes a comment that uh, everything was wonderful in the past or something like that, um, she and she said, that's all I ever felt when I was a child. But we already know that that's not true because we saw in the first scene that she was she was quite... She was yeah, she was bullied and harassed by other children, yep. and she was very aggressive herself. Exactly, exactly. And yeah. there's another instance of it, but it's not point coming to my mind right now. But hopefully, it'll come up later when we get to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah for but, sure. Yeah, she's a little um dishonest, and uh, this business yeah. of her not being able to command loyalty that she she has to grow into that person and she's not there yet. And this is one of the things that it's okay. It's hard to make out. The, you know, I don't know if you find this, but it's hard to make out what age they all are. Oh, for sure. It definitely is. Yeah, the it elves, definitely is. Yeah, see, the elves are very long-lived, and although Galadriel's a warrior and an adult, plainly, she's still young in elvish terms. Yeah. And I think that comes across. And, uh, yeah, there's similar issues with the Harfoots and all the rest of them, trying to figure out exactly what age they're all supposed to be. But anyway. <laughs> I know that's that's it. That's it. But, yeah, so they head on back to the king. So they head on back to Elven, the Elven cities. What what city did they go back to? The city's called Lindon, the first one we see. Lindon. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, the king has a plan that he wants to get rid of her. Like, what was that all about? He's enlisted her best friend, and he's going to ship her off to the promised land yeah, see, um, to get rid of her. I uh, See, I didn't notice this. I didn't peg this for that. You see, <laughs> I, I was thinking of um, the elves more like sort of Vulcans. That, that mm. Vulcans aren't really well. They are schemers, but they're different kinds of schemers, you know. Um, yeah. But an obvious comparison to the elves would be the Romans, right? And in the Roman Empire, we used to always yeah. backstabbing and killing emperors and killing senators and yeah. rising up the ranks of power. Um, and so you get that in Game of Thrones too, with all the extreme violence and intrigue in the in the politics. Um, yeah. But with the elves, I didn't really see that coming. I I didn't peg that he was purposely trying to get rid of Galadriel for a reason. To get her out yes. of his hair or something. I think I think there must there must be a reason. Like he enlisted the friend of um he enlisted El what's his name? Elrond? Elrond? Elrond, yeah. And firstly to talk her out of asking for a new army. So whenever she got back, she went to see Elrond and she was gonna ask for a new army so she could set out on like another mission to, mm -hmm. to find Sauron. And he talked her out of that. And then after the king um, offered her this passage to the promised land or to um, the other place that's this huge honour she was going to reject it she was going to turn it down and say no nah, I'm not going mm -hmm. I want to go off here and try to hunt some more baddies um, yeah. and he talked her into it again like the best friend talked her into it 
talked her into going he was like you better be careful that might not be offered again and yeah and everything else and she went along with it yeah. she just didn't it's like she knew what she wanted to do but she let other people talk her out of it yeah this is the thing um see she's she has an inner conflict going on where um there's a problem with Galadriel, and the problem is for her and for the elves. See, the elves, because they're so attached to the past and this notion of a peaceful life and a love and stability and permanence. Yeah. Um, they're very um they they it's actually odd, but they're very they don't engage in violence and wars um for a purpose unless they really, really need to for some reason. Yeah. And they don't enjoy they do actually, I mean, there's plainly times when Legolas is enjoying the battle, but that, that's later in the timeline. But I think in the beginning, yes. the war yeah, yeah, comes yeah. to the elves at first. They don't like it. They don't embrace it. But Galadriel has this inner pleasure she derives, actually, from the <laughs> yeah. battle, right? From the fight. From the she fight. Just, she's thirsty for a fight. Exactly. She See, she 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 has this story that she's telling herself, this meta-narrative that she is, yeah. uh, she's going to defeat Sauron. And there's a bit of revenge in there. But yeah. actually, she just enjoys the lifestyle i think right <laughs> she just, just she likes wild camping with her friends and yeah. hunting the bad guys and <laughs> exactly see and yeah in elven culture that's kind of a perverse um psychology oh yes yeah yeah you they like to relax and sit and philosophize and everything else that's right and they they would fear almost someone like galadriel and see and gilgalad yeah. said look we don't want her poking the bear he's like he's this is actually a fear, it. it's a fear-based response he doesn't want to deal with sauron under his reign so he's like don't wake the yeah. fucker up just let him i sleep. know that's that's exactly what he says is that he can't you need to be it was another one of those cheesy quotes where he was saying that um i can't remember the exact wording but it was something about the wind and how the wind the wind might accidentally um, spread the fire that it intends to put out. Yes. So a wind might spread the fire which um, it intends to put out. You see, by fanning the flames. Yeah. And that's what he's worried about. There is that she's going to fan the flames and, um, yeah, spread the fire of Sauron. Yeah. Um. So this is actually a key point in the plot um, when it comes, it's it relates to a key plot point, like particularly the arrival of the meteor man. But we'll talk about, yeah. we'll talk about that a bit later maybe, but he definitely is uh, uh, correct in the sense that Galadriel's instrumental in bringing Sauron back into Sorrow the world. Sauron back. Yeah. Yes. And yeah, for sure. Yeah. But uh, just before we, before we leave the elves behind and head on to the old Harfoots, uh, unless you've any more to say about Galadriel. Um, no, no, apart from at the very end of the episode, we see that she does finally commit to a decision and something that she wants to do whenever she jumps out of the boat yeah. and ends up in the water, although it's not clear what her plan is. They've been on that boat for a very long time and it looks <laughs> like they're quite they're quite a long way from land. So is she just gonna like is she gonna float about? Like what's she what's her plan, you know? No doubt. Well the elves are very enduring. Um like I remember that scene. One of my favorite scenes uh, or or segments of the Lord of the Rings movies is when Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli run they run chasing Merry and Pippin and the orcs for days without stopping. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and for fucking, I know. My the dwarf God. is like huffing and puffing, trying to keep up with them. And then, <laughs> and then they arrive, and, and Aragorn and Legolas look like they haven't uh, broken a sweat. Uh, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so I think she just probably plans to swim back to the shore, you know? <laughs> She's yeah, like, just to us, but for her, it's like, going to swim and swim and swim and swim yeah, and swim. Just get but, some yeah. exercise. Very yeah. Good. But yeah, anyway, in closing, just about the elves, they they 
they're very conservative, as I was saying, and they're stuck in the past. And this this past and future yeah. dichotomy, all Tolkien's full of these dualisms and the past and future is very important. Galadriel is embracing, trying to, she's a force for change and the elves are very resistant to change. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's not just change. It's it's like almost like um the balance of good and evil. There's a Star Wars thing going on, like the force, you know, like bring Yeah, there he's, definitely he's, is he's the one of the prophecy. He's gonna bring balance to the force. And the and Star Wars, <laughs> yeah, the yeah. metaphysics of Star Wars, like those people understand that the, the, the universe has a balance between good and evil. Yeah. Uh, and it it tips and wavers, but it's always gonna be there. But the elves haven't haven't accepted that yet. And they haven't learned to live yeah, okay. in that kind of world, right? Yeah, and yeah. Galadriel's going to push some of the elves into that. Yeah, um, make them a bit evil. Exactly. <laughs> or, ex or expose their evilness. Yeah, to to some extent, yeah. She has to touch the darkness. Um, I know, well, that's what her brother said. <laughs> exactly right. It was sad that they killed her brother off in the first 10 minutes of the show. He was the cutest, um, <laughs> the cutest elf that... Of the whole series so far, and he's gone now. Like, how sad! I know, right? Um, okay, so that's it. Shall we? Uh, shall we yeah. move along to the Harfoots then? Uh, what do you think of these? Um, these uh, the these little cabbage, Foots. yeah, these little cabbage patch kids. I thought uh, they were pretty cute. Like, they seemed very troopy. Like, this is definitely a movie troop that we've got going on with the Harfoots and how they've created the characters for sure. Like, they're. Um, yeah, I guess it's all a bit twee and a bit country, isn't it? Like country bumpkin, like or um, yeah, yeah, um, definitely. Like their accents are very stereotypical, and yeah, I guess they're exactly as you would expect them to be. Um, yeah. Well, for people, well, this is just it. There are there. I mean, these heavy sort of um, ethnic stereotypes are baked into. Um, the culture of the UK and yeah, uh, I'm not going to say Ireland because I don't know if the Irish will easily go along with um go along with it. But it's the the English are the the elite, right? Yeah, that's why the elves all talk with proper English and they speak like this, like they live in London and <laughs> have tea with the Queen, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <clears throat> the Harfoots yeah. are Irish. They all have yes. Irishized accents. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're the little country folk, the simple, um, yeah, you know, joy and joy loving. Uh, yeah, for sure. Right. The dwarves are the Scottish. That's and, right. You know, it's like, come on, this is so old. I this know. troop is so old. That's like, right. when are we going to stop playing the same cards? You yeah, know what I mean? For sure. Um, but yeah, I guess like I was a bit skeptical. Like the first time we meet them is whenever there's these big hunters that are walking past and the hunters have the giant antlers or whatever on their backs. And we catch a glimpse of the Harfoots like in the foreground of the shot um, where they've like hidden their whole camp. It's like, are we supposed to believe that every time somebody walks past, they like close up their whole camp and hide away like they don't want to be seen? Like, I just didn't think that was very plausible. No, I know. I mean, the funny thing is they're they're like little animals. You see, they're yeah, they're the most I think they're the most recent race in um, Lord of, in the in the Middle Earth because see in Middle Earth of course there's no evolution or anything like that that the, there's not yeah. enough time that goes by so how these species emerge is they just grow or are created yeah uh, the Harfoots yeah. like like Cabbage Patch Kids they emerge out of the earth you see yeah what I mean? yeah okay. and they're very yes of course and they're very close to the earth 
And uh, yeah. I love their little structures. How they must be totally crawling with bugs. I don't know how anyone can live in there. <laughs> oh, did you yeah. did you end up watching um, Snowflake Mountain? Oh, I watched um, I watched a couple of shows. I watched a few episodes, I, and then I forgot that I was watching it. It was one of those shows <laughs> that you kind of forget that you're, you're yeah. watching it. Like it's the the biggest insult is to forget that you're watching it, not even to dislike it, but just forget, <laughs> just to forget. <laughs> well, I, I ended up watching all of it because my kids liked it mainly. But uh, yeah. one of the punishments they had, they had to go and stay all night in a lake by a lake where they were just <laughs> they were just they just had their sleeping bag, but no tent. They were under like a wooden a structure oh my made of God. logs. And covered in moss yeah. and grass it was exactly like the harfoots <laughs> and they were terrified <laughs> yeah. of it because of the spiders and the bugs right oh my god yeah i mean yeah how those harfoots cope with the bugs i'll never know but um yeah i just didn't um i didn't find it to be very plausible that they and why would they hide why would they hide like the two hunters were talking about that the harfoots were mean little people so the hunters were scared of the harfoots you know what i mean and they yet they're hidden away i just don't yeah but anyway Small detail. I thought yep. they were cute, like they're a cute little race. They're um, I guess they're pre they're hobbits, the pre-hobbit people, aren't they? Don't they grow into hobbits at some yeah, stage? Yeah, they become or hobbits. Are they totally different race? No, no, they're hobbits. Yeah, they are hobbits basically. Yeah. They're prototypical um, hobbits. Yeah, that's it. And we had Lenny Henry, our friendly comedian from Britain that um yeah. plays their wise man. Yeah. The wise man that doesn't really have anything wise to say. Like he didn't have a single thing. Like he's standing with his big old book the whole time, looking in it and talking about the stars being different, but he doesn't actually <laughs> say anything profound or wise or anything. He's always just looking in his book. Yeah, yeah, he likes his book. Um, the books in the paper come in, come in and out of the story a lot. But uh, yeah, you're yeah. right. I, I couldn't quite peg his role within the community. I know it's kind of a shamanic type figure. There's yeah. three leaders, him and two women are the, the main shamans of the group, I guess, if you want to call them yeah. shamans. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, <clears throat> It isn't this 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 little society of Harfoots isn't strongly hierarchical like the elves or yeah. um, it doesn't seem to be dirty and violent like the human society. Um, yeah. You know, they're careful to distinguish themselves as, you know, the dwarfs have their mountains and their mines and the elves have yes. their cities. But we Harfoots are we move around with the seasons we're on, you know, which is weird because they're the most yeah, connected to the they're earth. They're not tied down. Yeah, but they're very connected. Yeah. Go ahead. I think that I think they were getting it that they're not they're not tied down or concerned with the things that the other races are concerned with. Their big cities and their their structures, their their civilian um, societal structures and things like that. I think that was the point for me anyway. Yeah, that they're different, you and see, that's how they're different. You know. Yeah, there's um, it's it's about this past and future thing and how the Harfoots are. They're not deeply rooted in the past the way the elves are. They're not. They don't really care yeah. what's going to happen in the future, and they're just the people that, that lives in the present moment. They get the joy from yeah. eating the little um, blackberries, a little bit of excitement from dodging, you know, the humans, yeah. and uh, and a little bit of drama well, from the meteor. I guess that was that that could play into like why nobody else really reacted to the meteor arriving or the the. Um, the star falling from the sky like the um like nori and her friend poppy were the only two harfoots that went to investigate it and it landed very close to their village like it was close enough that they were back and forth in a couple of minutes to steal clues for the giant and all kinds of stuff but it's like nobody else was really that bothered you know what i mean like there was lenny's like oh the stars are different and then he just goes on about his business you know it's like they're not 
they're not yeah. concerned about it maybe yeah. that plays into your theory that they just they're, they live in the moment and that's happened now so yeah we'll just move camp <laughs> they're like they're averse to these big events um uh, just yeah. as the elves are but the elves are averse for a different reason they they don't want to encounter change and, and violence um yeah but the harfits don't want to either but the harfits don't want to so they can continue living in a natural earthy way and uh you know they just don't bother themselves with it they don't get involved that's right see there's an obvious parallel between um uh, Galadriel and Nori. Galadriel yeah. wants to push in, she, against the conservatism of her society, and uh, and go and take a different path and go adventuring. And Nori's the same yeah. thing. She's like, it's a typical movie trope, you know. It's Dorothy Gale in, in the Wizard of Oz. It's Luke Skywalker yeah. in Star Wars. It's like I'm bored living on the farm. I want to go off and adventure somewhere. Oh, for sure. And, uh, and she has that conversation with her mom, doesn't it? Was mm -hmm. it isn't it her mom that she chats to? And she's quickly told to fall back into line. And we got another really cheesy quote from her mom about how nobody is, you have to stay on the trail and nobody gets left behind and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, um, yeah, but yeah. she's definitely a free spirit. She's very inquisitive. She's thirsty for adventure. She wants to get out there and experience the world. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, that's right. And the others aren't, the others are just like, eh, let's just um, eat some berries. Yeah, that's right. Um, so yeah, when the meteor crashes down to Earth, she immediately goes and investigates to find out what's happened. Um, but that's episode two. No, we no? she investigates it in episode one. Oh, does that's she? Where episode oh, I'm one sorry. Ends off. I'm yes. so sorry. So yeah. she goes and finds it, and um, isn't she looking into the hole? And that's where we leave them. I think something like that. Okay. But she definitely oh, does go and see it. We need to have someone looking into the hole so that they can show it and. In from the, above yeah, yeah. yes right. so it's shown from above it looks like a giant eyeball with the little kind of curled up almost fetus looking giant in the center of it that's right and the fire around the whole the ditch is um yes is uh is in like it goes out in lines it's like a it's like the sun that's symbol right. that we see the elves always have everywhere yes. the sun symbolism yeah 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 so, so yeah i like the harfoots yeah, I like Lenny Henry is pretty weak. I don't know what he's going to turn into. Like, what's the point of a wise man that's not wise? Like, seriously? Yeah. Give him something good to say. I know, right? I mean, and also, like, just as we were saying with the lack of charm in the script, you know, yeah. we this scene where they were out uh, looking at the farm, there's um, they come out of their own little and they, they go through a, a stone, yes. a, a gate and a stone wall, which is the sign of the human uh, attitude towards That's permanent right. structures. And then they go into the farm. And this it directly um, recalls uh, Lord of the Rings when Merry and Pippin are out. Uh, they're all the, oh, hob the little right. hobbits right at the farm stealing carrots and stuff. Yes, and that's they get right. chased. You see, and here they are eating berries and yeah, sneaking onto the farm again. And it's like, whereas that scene was charming and fun and dramatic in Lord of the Rings, this one just. It felt a bit flat. It was I thought flat. it was quite cute with the, the way they were eating the berries, but then they tried to build some tension in it with movement from above, and they saw this big giant footprint, and um, Laurie signaled to Poppy that it was time to go. It just didn't, like, well, they tried to create that kind of element of, um, I guess, not sinister, not, not um, in ominous. a sinister way. Yeah, they were trying to create a bit of drama, but it just fell it just fell a bit flat. It was like they tried to build in humor to a lot of the script for the Harfoots, but it just never landed. The jokes for me just never landed. They didn't know. They were just a wee bit too a That's wee bit right. too flat, a wee bit too simple, not very intelligent. Like, come on, the most expensive TV show ever made. Yeah. They should have sharpened their pencils. 
I completely agree with you. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk yeah. about this a lot, um, but the script is flat. Yeah. There's no doubt. It about really it. is. Yeah, it really is. It lacked all like they had. A, and I'm sure there are listeners out there who maybe enjoyed those jokes. And that's great. You know, that's really good. But for me, it just didn't land. For sure. I mean, and there are I mean, I don't want to completely shit on the script <laughs> because yeah. there are a lot of good land. <laughs> there are a lot of good lines. And like I say, they sneak in these lines where they're yeah. where they're trying to communicate to us how the world works and um, uh, very key ideas. And the other thing I'll say about the script is that it's full of um, talk about the seasons. The seasons are mentioned every second line. Someone mentions the seasons yeah. or the weather or some elemental oh, force it, from the yeah, weather. Yeah, it is definitely grounded in how the earth kind of rotates or, or turns you know yeah that's definitely. right yeah totally and so there are certain uh, there are highlights in the script but in terms of yeah. the, how a script is supposed to uh bind you to the story in a sense you know it's yeah it's, it communicates um it's supposed to communicate i don't know what how to put the viv it's supposed to get make the characters vivid yeah, it brings them to life. People are brought to life through their words and their expressions. And, you know, in a way, it's really limiting for the actors. If they don't have a good script that they can act out with their face and their bodies yeah. and their movement, then forget about it. Know. You know what I mean? It must be so hard. That's just it. And it's a shame because um, I've already seen comments online that people are dissing the actors and people just need to know that it's not the actors. Yeah, you know it's I mean? the script. It's the script. 100%. Yeah. And, and as I say, they took this attitude towards a muted I don't know how purposeful it is because the elves, as we've talked about, are are an unemotive people, and so it's difficult yeah. to write script for people like that. Yeah. Um, but also, it's purposeful uh, with the elves. It shouldn't. It's not. It didn't need to be the case with the uh, Harfoots. Um, but um, they've they've instead of emphasizing the the liveliness of the script, which they seem to have sort of forgotten about, they've put yeah. all the liveliness into the setting. And it's like I'm saying yes, that they've right. really hammered that. It's like, and what we're supposed to understand, like I was saying earlier, is that the land is a part of the the people, and it's yeah, it's like sure. it's like half of them, right? So when it's we a see each bit of it, but when we see so, so when we saw those Harfoots, all the attention was given to their little structures and how they can yes, hide. That's it, and. and uh, the very physical aspects of their life in the earth that's it was where... so rich and visually it was rich yes yeah that's right and so they really pushed that but then the script just kind of got forgotten a little and yeah empty and i just yeah it just yeah it didn't land exactly um but yeah and that came across in the other story arc that we had too between um Bronwyn. Bronwyn, yes, between Bronwyn and the other man elf. I've forgotten his name too. Arendir. <laughs> Arendir. No Bronwyn and Arendir was yeah. the other story arc that came up in this in this episode. And again, it was kind of it was a bit flat, I thought. Yeah, totally. I mean, um yeah, let's talk about that. Um I mean, so it's uh, I thought the one thing that they did quite well here was really emphasize the tension that exists between the elves and the humans in terms of the two races. Like the elves are very much an occupying force here in the humans territory. At one point, one of the characters mentioned that they'd been there for 72 years and was very clear that while well, the I think they were standing on top of like a lookout point and he was like, yeah, the scenery has changed in the 72 years, but the men that you're here to watch are still the same, you know? So it's like, they're there to watch the men. They're not there to look out for Sauron or for anything else. They're there because they don't trust the humans and the humans feel that too. Yeah, and that's it creates right. this really terrible relationship between the two. Like 
the first scene I think whenever we join was like an argument between Aaron Deer and a guy in a bar mm-hmm. and um, he made a comment about how they've been living under their boots you know so they definitely it's not um, peace and harmony between the elves and the humans for sure yeah I mean an obvious comparison for us and if people haven't picked up already we're Northern Irish (laughs) 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 yeah Yeah, Yeah, Catholics and Protestants right here's a joke for you I don't know if you've probably heard this one um Girl goes back to her to her, her granny. Girl's talking to her granny, and she says, um, "Oh, I've got this new boyfriend." And uh, granny says, "Well, is he a Protestant or a Catholic?" And she says, "Oh, he's not. He's a Buddhist." And and granny says, "Well, is he is he a Catholic Buddhist or a Protestant Buddhist?" <laughs> That's so funny. Oh God. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. And this this relationship that we see hinted at and is a very, very subtly hinted at between Aaron Deer and Bronwyn is a relationship that's across the barricades, as you would say. Yeah, for know, sure. Well, it's definitely frowned upon in elven culture. You know, it would be definitely frowned upon. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I think uh, it does seem like um, Bronwyn is uh, the only human who gets to see pointies in their panties. Um <laughs> Sorry. Awful. That's Sorry. a terrible joke. Terrible. Sorry. Really bad. You know, um, when the, the, the trouble with podcasting is that if you come up with a joke before you're actually in the podcast, it's really hard to slip it in naturally into conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Extremely yeah. hard. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, this whole relationship between um Aaron Deer and is it Aaron Deer and Bronwyn? Yeah. It just like although it's implied by the guy the only mention of it where it really comes across is that there's like a campy elf who's moaning about it like he's having a good old moon to um Aaron Deer about his romantic notions with humans and um, but if you were to watch that scene unfold without that comment after you wouldn't even pick up on the tension between the two it just doesn't again it, it just doesn't come across in the script or in how they deliver um the scenes yeah, for sure. So, I mean, here's the thing, right? We this is a this is another story trope or classical kind of story. Yeah. Is, is the story of forbidden love, right? And yeah. for, love can be forbidden, like in terms of what we were saying, Northern Ireland. Uh, in between, uh, it can be forbidden due to culture and yeah. state and status, right? So, in other words, it could be between within the same race, but. Um, like say in Titanic with Leonardo, it's like the upper class and the lower class shall not. Oh, mix. that's right. right? Yes, um, that's right. And uh, or else it could be like Romeo and Juliet, where there's warring factions within one one race or For one sure. cultural group. Um, but here in this case, it's uh, re- interracial relationships, right? And also yeah. inter- two very different cultures, two different races. Yeah, right. And um, we do see that elsewhere. There are examples in Star Trek, you know, I mean, it's going to become apparent to listeners that I'm a bit of a Trekkie, but I think a lot of Trek, it's hard to know, maybe a lot of Trek, like the Vulcans, were they based on the elves in Roddenberry's mind? It's possible. Oh, I do. Yeah, it is very possible. They're certainly very similar and they very like visually, they're very similar too. it's not just similar in character. They're similar in how they look. Yeah. So there are similar themes. I think it's worth comparing. Like Spock, for example, his parents are, he has yeah. one human and one Vulcan parent. That's and right. So does Elrond, incidentally. He's a half elf, which is why he wasn't allowed to sit at the council with the main. Yeah. Because he's not a full elf. Um, oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, I didn't was... realize that was the significance of the line whenever the person comes to tell him that um uh that his friend is there, that, that mm-hmm. he isn't allowed to go. He's not allowed to see at the table. Okay. Yeah, totally. Actually, to correct myself, he's got 
one of his parents is a half elf and the other is a half elf. So he's got two half elven parents. So overall, okay. that adds to him being a half elf. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 For sure. Um, uh, although in this case, in this case, I get the sense that it's a two way street. Like the bartender, whenever the barman came out and saw the two um, chatting, he, he looked very disapproving too. So I get that um, it seemed that humans would also frown upon a relationship between an elf and a human. Um, yeah. just as much as the elves would frown upon it. Whereas I think in Vulcan society, I'm not sure that humans would give a shit about <laughs> somebody <laughs> dating a, a Vulcan. You know what I mean? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like, uh, well, this is just the thing, right? In these other stories that the the stakes are very high for the characters, like in back in, term, yeah. in, in Northern Ireland, like there was a time when if a Protestant dated a Catholic, they could get uh, oh, excommunicated would... from the family. Yeah. They had to go and live in England or to go and live somewhere else. They weren't allowed to be seen or to yeah. date or anything. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't good. But here we're like it's very, you know, there there there's feel to be no consequences and so are very limited consequences. Like the the elf says, Oh, do you know what the consequences would be if the elf master or whatever the hell's name is finds out? And it's like, well, it didn't really convey that there would be consequences, you know. Yeah. It's frowned upon, right? Maybe yeah. um, but you know, there's no stakes like with other um, forbidden love stories. And so it isn't clear. Yeah. yeah. And if you don't have those high stakes, then you don't get the juicy, sad, the, the juicy, pleasurable elements of the forbidden love, you know, and how naughty oh, it is and exciting sure. it is, right? Yeah. Because there's no, what's the risk? There's no risk involved. Yeah. Especially for these I mean, guys, at least. I know. And it's it's a trouble, you know, and it's like this Aaron uh, Deer guy, you know, he's like, he's so handsome. Like, I, I really like the actors. I love. Um, yeah, uh, I thought he was really good. The presentation of Aaron Deer and Bronwyn. Um, um, I think they're... I thought Bronwyn was excellent. The actress that plays Bronwyn is really good. I thought yeah. she was excellent. Yeah, for sure. But again, it was kind of flat. Like Aaron Deer wore only one expression, I think, for almost the entire time that he was on the screen. I know. That's and so true. Even when it almost felt for me, it felt like there was more tension between Aaron Deer and the elf who was having a moon at about Adam about um his relationship with the woman than between mm -hmm. him and the woman himself. You know what That's I mean? Right. It felt like there was more tension between those two. Yeah. Yeah. We just needed more spark. We needed it to be a little yeah. bit sexier, a little bit more romantic, a little bit funnier, um, a little bit more Maybe dangerous. Maybe that'll come, though. Maybe that'll come with time. I hope so. I hope so. I hope so. Um, but yeah, so it doesn't really matter anyway, this whole love affair, because um, they get the message through that they're going to be called home. So their outpost has been disbanded and all the elves are have to head back to the um, Lindor. And is it Lindor? Lindon. Lindon. Lindor is yeah. the chocolate brand. I knew fucking Lindor was the chocolate brand. Sorry, um, <laughs> Lyndon. And uh, yeah, so it doesn't really matter anyway. They're being evacuated. They're being told to come home. So um, he heads off to say cheerio and they bump into a farmer who has a sick cow. <laughs> and uh, when they, they go off to investigate, they find a, a village has been burnt to the ground. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, that's right. Um, at this point, it wasn't clear if Aaron Deer is running back to Bronwyn to say goodbye or if he, because like somewhat like um, yeah, Galadriel. He wants to stay. Yeah, yeah he wants he's to running away. Yeah, that's right. Or is he someone to say goodbye because he's an obedient little elf and he wants to be a good yeah. uh, soldier? Who knows? Uh, but, it's hard uh, to say. At one stage, she does ask, like, where are all your, like, where are they all now? And he's like, well, maybe they're all looking for me. They're probably all looking for me. So right. maybe that's an, an implied, it's just very subtly implied that he's trying to hide from them so that he can stay. You know, subtle is the key word for this whole thing. Everything is Definitely. subtle. Definitely. 
Yeah, definitely. And, you know, that maybe that's an editorial choice, but I'm not sure if it completely works. I just, I think it's just a bit too subtle. You know, the subtlety is okay. Subtlety is okay as long as some parts of it aren't subtle. And, you know, right. you get the juicy stuff too. Uh, yeah. yeah, but maybe it'll come a time. I don't know. Maybe it'll come a time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So poison in the fields. The old cow's got black milk, and uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, off yeah. they go to investigate. And they find is it that they find in this episode where that uh, the neighboring town is uh, on fire, and the people seem to be yeah missing. They vanished. The people mm -hmm. have vanished, and there's a tunnel. They find an underground tunnel. Yep. Very sinister indeed mm -hmm. um and then while they're off doing that investigation um theo bronwyn's son heads into uh gets himself into someone else's barn with the guy that was fighting in the bar and they find um sauron's a, a, a sword from one of sauron's army maybe sauron himself i don't know yeah a lot of speculation about this sword because sauron's apparently not supposed to have a sword um yeah. but uh who knows maybe in this uh this is his sword uh but yeah uh, we don't know, but definitely some uh, portent um, yeah. behind this blade, this blade hilt. Um, and For the, sure. Uh, yeah, we do get a bit of a sense of evil creep as uh, evil is uh, sort of re-emerging into the world. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's starting to, um, yeah. And there was the black milk and the burning village. Yeah, and I, 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 just I think there was also wasn't there like a, whenever they were in Lindon, the elf, the lord, or the king of the elves caught a falling leaf that started to turn black on the backside as well. Yeah, I that's think that it. happened at the end of this episode. Maybe that's how we left the episode. Uh, that yeah, it's, yeah, that's right. It was whenever the meteor landed and he uh, he yeah. saw it going overhead and then he looked down in his hand and the leaf was that's uh, it. Leaf and yes, I, again, this it. is like the metaphysics of Tolkien's world. Like I was saying, I've just realized it's more evidence. It's like the farm it, the evil is not just in the in the characters; it's in the land as well. It's like there's yeah, a, there's a seeping evil, and when the evil comes through in the land, it's because the land's a part of the the, the characters. Yes, you know? okay, so, yeah, that is that's good. Yeah. Um, so that's us. I think that's the end of the episode, isn't it? That's that's pretty much the three story arcs that, that we picked up on in episode one. Yeah. Um, what did you think overall? I know we kind of touched on that at the start, but were you yeah. impressed? Like, did you enjoy the did you enjoy the experience? The I think that um on the second watch I enjoyed it more. Yeah. Um, because as you say, the script is flat, but on the second watch, you start to see there's a lot in it for um there's a lot in it to to puzzle out. Yeah. Right? definitely and uh they are hinting at a lot of the themes and that and so there's there's interesting stuff to talk about and it's good from that point of view but whether it's going to capture the popular imagination um I don't another think, thing yeah that doesn't seem to be but i think I, that's similar with most shows like it takes a few episodes before you can commit you know what i find that anyway that sometimes you watch an episode or two and you're like mm, really and then by the third one you're like fully invested yeah true. um that's very so, true. yeah I think that it'll grow on me for sure. Mm -hmm. And what was your highlight? What was your best moment from the, or your best character? Who was your top character? Oh Lord, you've got me there. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I really liked Laurie the Harfoot. I thought, or Nori, sorry, Nori the Harfoot. I thought she was great. She was really good. Um, yeah, for sure. Great character. She had an interesting script, I guess. And yeah, yeah. I thought it was very well acted. She did a great job. Yeah. She's a bit more vivid than some of the other characters yeah. for sure. Definitely, um, I think Galadriel's. I mean, it's. I'm all. I'm one of these guys that's a sucker for the hero, and I think Galadriel yeah. is. 
she her weaknesses and everything and the weaknesses in the script set aside uh, and the, the the way the story's unraveling um i i like i really like the actor there are certain there are certain moments like uh, actually in the next episode we'll get to that but um I, she she's the one that's going to be dry i think mainly driving change apart from the obvious the antagonists of course um yeah and so i'm really interested to see how her character develops because i think as an actor she's got so much potential uh like uh, we've seen glimpses of her ability uh in the first two episodes um and i just think it's gonna she's gonna grow and grow so yeah um I think that I think so too. I think Galadriel's a really interesting um actor to watch. Like, and I definitely think she's somewhat limited in her um script. The script that she has hasn't been great, I don't think. And I think that we'll see like I certainly grew to like her a lot more in episode two. Like Galadriel really grew me in episode two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like Elrond um as well. I really like Elrond. He's probably my pet favorite so far. Yeah, he is. He's good. I liked Elrond. He's quite happy and quite he's he's a bit of fun, you know. Um yeah. although he kind of threw her under the bus a wee bit. Like he was totally being manipulated by the king and um let his friend like talked his friend into going just so he could get that juicy reward at the end, you know, to go off and work with his hero. Well he made that was he... in episode two, maybe. He may just have drank too much of the Kool-Aid and he really believed it was in yeah. uh, her best interest to go into the West. You know, he's yeah, yeah. And as and again, you know, he's young. And we have to remember that. Like these elves, Elrond and Galadriel are young and Arendir. That's true. Even yeah, though they're long lived. And so he's a little bit naive, I think, Elrond. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. That definitely would yeah, that comes across. Yeah. Yeah. But I think one of the reasons why I like Galadriel, the Elrond Galadriel thing. Elrond obviously was he missed Galadriel a lot, and he was so excited to see her, and so and she just like I almost know. brushed him aside. And Galadriel's one of these one of these people, you know, one of these women. Yeah. I get drawn to these, you know, they're aloof. And yeah, yeah. You will love them passionately, right? <laughs> and they'll just and not be them. busted all. Exactly. And it's the, it's the self-punishing part of me that just loves women like that yeah yeah <laughs> you just can't help but be drawn into it it's Aww. weird yeah so i like that yeah. thing going on between the two of them um yeah the only other thing i have in closing is that the meteor yeah meteor and the beardy bloke i now when i was saying about how the land is like a part of the elves right i'm yeah. part of the characters so this is why I think it, there's a strong argument, I think, based on this idea, although most people are dismissing the idea that the meteor man is actually Sauron. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely either him or or someone closely connected or, or to that um that yeah. side of things because Galadriel has this inner need. She enjoys the violence, she enjoys the thrill, the adventure, and she has an inner need to go and adventure. Yeah. So when she jumps off that boat, it's like she actually causes the meteorite. She to her fall. exactly. It's how her inner her inner state, what we normally think of as an inner state, is actually in the land and in the universe. Yeah. You see? And so that's what's happening. So she like, knows, or are you sure? Like I yeah. don't know. I'm not convinced. I thought that she saw the meteorite and that's why she jumped off whenever she saw it. But maybe well, I maybe I misinterpreted the scene. But it's been it's been hinted by the other characters, particularly Gilgalad, who has a strong insight, 
you know, because he's older and has more experience. Yeah. He didn't want Galadriel poking the bear, as we were saying. He didn't want her to wake yeah. Sauron up. And so it's hinted mm-hmm. in the script that this action that that it's her that brings up about the new that state of affairs. This. Exactly. Yeah. So when she jumps off the boat, the meteor comes down because it's a response to the inner struggles of at least of Galadriel and yeah, you know. Maybe possibly maybe. some of the other characters too, because Nori and Galadriel connected. Nori finds the guy. There's a but does the meteor not land first? Like I'm pretty sure that in the story, how the story is told, the it, meteor it does. lands first, and then it lands, she jumps well, off the boat. Okay, so I mean, as she's making the timeline, a bit. <laughs> as she's making her decision to jump off the boat, yeah. she creates the meteorite. <laughs> You're right. The meteor, <laughs> the meteor lands first, but I still hold by my, uh, by my, uh, okay. by my argument. You could also argue that your argument still stands up. It's just that she feels the meteorite hit the ground, and that causes her to jump. Possibly. Um, there was quite a touching moment whenever she was on the boat, and like her little friend that was the first rebellious elf on top of the mountain, um, notices mm-hmm. that she's a very unsettled, and he reaches out to take her hand to comfort mm-hmm. her. And I thought that was a really touching moment. And then yeah. she just shakes it off and jumps over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I thought that was really good. I, you know, it has its issues. I enjoyed mm-hmm. it. It was fun, yep. you know. Um, yeah, I hope everybody else enjoyed it too. If you hate it, let us know. Email us and tell us. Information coming up uh, during the closing theme music. And that's it for episode one. Join us again for yeah. episode two. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us on Pod of the Rings. If you enjoyed our banter near as much as a Harford enjoys a fat, juicy blackberry, go on ahead and hit like and subscribe. You can check out our other shows at shutup.world and should you need us, fire off an email to podoftherings at gmail.com. As they say in Lindon, live long and prosper. Prosper.